community of whole life disciples, alert to God's leading, paying careful attention to one another in the moment we're in, so that we can be good news to those around us. And as I've said every week, it's both a description of what we are and a description of what we want to be and a description of what we want to grow into be, uh, really, that actually we might become this sort of church community. When we've talked about it, we've talked about vision and values, but in those of you that know this sort of stuff, it doesn't really sound very much like a vision statement. A vision statement is normally about what you're going to do, what you're going to see, what you're going to become. And we've phrased it intentionally like this because actually I think that when churches talk about vision, actually often what they're talking about is what they want themselves to become. And I, actually, I think the vision um, of life in Christ is given to us in the New Testament. Our vision is not so much what sort of church we'll become, but what's, what gets our attention And ultimately, the vision that we need, and this might sound like just sort of preaching talk, but the vision we need is actually of the resurrected Jesus. That's actually what we need. It's not, can we become this super community, but actually, can we get a vision of Jesus? You remember when when the Apostle uh, John, when he's on Patmos, beginning of Revelation, this aging pastor, poet, prophet, who's been exiled, and he's on Patmos, and he's trying to see, I can ima- this is my imagination, I'm imagining him on a Sunday morning, standing on the outcrop on Patmos, one of those Greek islands, trying to see across the sea into Turkey, to see if he could see Ephesus and Pergamum and Laodicea, Because those are his churches and he's desperate that they don't give up. He's desperate that they don't lose their way. And of course he can't see because nobody can see 30 miles. But what he does see is Jesus. He has this vision of Jesus. And he hears a voice that says, write this down and tell them this. Because in Laodicea, they're lukewarm. And they need to see Jesus. And in Smyrna, they're really tiny, and, but they, they're doing great. In Ephesus, they're really doing really well, but they're forgetting what it's really all about. Tell them about Jesus. Let that be the vision. And that's what we need, isn't it? That's what get kicks. That's what get. That's, what's, that's what gets kicked out of us. That's what you lose sight of. That's what becomes secondary. We need to see Jesus again. That's the vision we need. And if you will, then having been able to do that, then actually, what's the strategy? What are we going to do? Well, we will learn how to follow him. The vision of Jesus, and and he's on the move, and our strategy is we will learn how to follow Jesus. But then, the tactics, if you will, you've got vision, strategy, and tactics. Your tactics are, this is what we're going to do day by day. 
And it's the tactics that are really difficult. But it's the tactics of knowing what it means to follow this Jesus, knowing what it means to be these disciples, knowing what it means to be his church. It's the tactics that God will help us with. This is where we need to be alert to God's leading. Whenever you want to express an idea um, and make it seem really significant and get people's attention, the best way of doing it is to use a different language. So what theologians did, they do it all the time, what theologians did, they, they wanted to remind the church actually that it's not that you've got a mission that you're asking God to help you with, but actually God's got a mission that he wraps you into. And they came up many years ago with this language in, 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 in Latin of missio dei, the mission of God. That God is a missionary God. That God's at work. That God's ahead of us here. That God's wanting to do some stuff here. And he wraps us up into that. Not that we've got to have a plan and then we ask God, would you, would you help us? No, 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 no. It's the other way around. It's kind of like, God, what are you doing? And how do we get wrapped up into that? Missio Dei. The mission is God's mission. And he gives us the resources for it to happen. He's ahead of us. That's why we need to be alert to God's leading, because we want to join in with what God's got. Now, what that means for us here today in our church is he has things planned, he's at work, and he's longing for our church to join in with him in stuff that we have not yet imagined. That's how it's got, that's what that has got to mean. That this missionary God is doing stuff ahead of us and he's longing and waiting for us to go, okay, well, we'll join with you. And it's not that we're rebellious and it's not that we're reluctant. It's sometimes it's just, what? <laughs> what is it you want us to do? But that's the truth of this work, of what it means to be church with a vision of Jesus and a God who's at work in the world. He's waiting. He's got it. He's at work in Salford. He's working our city. He's at work in our region. And he's saying to you and me, join in, join in, join in. And if you're like me, sometimes it's, yeah, but what? How? And that's why we need to become alert to his leading. Because the God who has this, who's doing this work, the God who has the plan for his own world, the God who's at work for his own world, says, well, you don't have to guess. I'll actually lead you. I'll nudge you. I'll help you along this path. And what I want to do is just show you four places in the book of Acts where that happened. I think when we did the book of Acts, when we read through it wholly, I must have said lots of times, the book of Acts was not about a church saying, right, we've got a plan. It was hardly ever about a church that had a plan. It was normally about God who had a plan and the church were going, oh, so that's what we're supposed to be doing now. That's the book of Acts, and I think you'll see it again. So if you've got a Bible, can you turn with me firstly, and we'll, we'll just go through these. There's four of them. I'm not going to spend ages on them, but I want to just do them one by one. In Acts chapter 11, verse 28. So um, if you've got a Bible, get to there, and then don't close the Bible then because we'll keep moving forward. Four times when God intervenes, if you will, in a church and says, this is what I want you to do. So this is, this is happening, this little incident is happening in a place called Antioch. It's that place, it's that fascinating uh, town where 
uh, Jews start to speak about to, to Gentiles, to Greeks, and they become Christians. And it's in that town that they first become known as Christians. People nickname them Christians. But at verse 27, and, and, oh, sorry, and Barnabas goes and he sees what's going on and he's delighted to see these people coming to know Jesus. And he goes, but what these people need is teaching. So he goes and finds Saul or Paul and he brings him into that church. And together, Barnabas, this really encouraging guy, and Paul, the teacher, they, they, they build this church together. During this time, verse 27, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. In brackets, this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the believers living in Judea. This they did, um, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. You hear what's going on. This man called Agabus comes from Jerusalem. So he's not part of the church. He's outside of the church. But he comes into the church and he says there's going to be a famine and it's going to affect the whole of the empire. And the church have to work out, how do we respond to that? You can't, a little church like Antioch can't serve the entire Roman world. But the disciples decide to provide help for the believers living in Judea. And they did this, sending their gifts to Barnabas and Saul. In other words, they decide, actually, we will go, we'll give our money back to in a sense, the source, the where all this good news came from. Now, just bear in mind, it, it sounds obvious, but just bear in mind what that meant if you were a Gentile. You would give your money and you would support people who didn't agree with you. You would give it back to the Jewish people, even though that's not your heritage. It's a bigger deal than you might imagine. But how does God lead them? He sends a prophet. A prophet from outside who will come in. And Paul and Barnabas have been teaching, but the prophet comes in. And the prophet says, this is what's going to happen externally. And then the church have to make a mind up. The second place you see it is a few pages forward in chapter 16. And um, in verses 6 to 10, so what you've got now... Uh, this is the passage, if you were with us in church last week, we, we looked at in the, in the two services we had. But this is where Paul has this vision of the man of Macedonia. So essentially what's going on is Paul and his companions are on a journey to try and um, strengthen churches, to plant churches, to spread the gospel. And they get to a border and they can't get in. We're not told exactly why. We'll read it in a minute. Doesn't explain why, but it's just clear that they can't get in. And they're frustrated, and they're left wondering why. And then Paul has a vision. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of, of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia. 
but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae, went down to Troas, and during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In this case, uh, it was Dave Swindles who said this last week, in this case, there were two things going on. The situation had closed down for them, and they couldn't do what they thought was the obvious thing to do, but they also had a supernatural vision. It was a situation in the supernatural, and together they concluded this is what God's asking of us. Third one. Turn over the page. Chapter 18. It happens again. So Paul, by this time, is in Corinth, in Greece. And as is his practice, every Sabbath, verse 4, he reasons in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and they became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your, head, your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, here's the irony, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. So having been kicked out of the synagogue and saying, that's it, I'm out, he actually leads the synagogue leader to Jesus, which is kind of like, hmm. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. And one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. For I'm with you, and no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. If it had been left to Paul, that's it, I'm out. You've had it. You want to abuse me? You want to attack me? I'm away. And God breaks in and goes, no, 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 Paul. I've not finished here yet. I want you to stay. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult, but I want you to stay. And so he's reassured and he stays. And then the final one is in chapter 21. And um, chapter 21, if you've got your Bible, then just keep moving forward there. So here, this time, they're in Caesarea uh, on the way to Jerusalem. And it's, it, we're getting, it's part of this sort of final, um, the final journey of Paul. Uh, verse, um, well, verse 7. We continued our journey from Tyre, landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the believers and we stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and we stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. Do you remember Philip? Waited on tables, then he becomes the evangelist in Samaria, then he's left, uh, he's taken by the Spirit into the desert, and then he ends up in Caesarea. And Philip has four daughters who all prophesied, unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, there he is again. Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over at the Gentiles. 
And when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? It sounds like, anyway, it doesn't matter what it sounds like. I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he wouldn't be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So in other words, this prophet comes, gets Paul's belt, ties his hand, ties, said, that's what's going to happen to you. And the church say, Paul, don't go. Why would you go? That's what's going to happen to you. And Paul says, no, 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 no. That's, he says, why, why are you breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but to die in Jerusalem. And the people go, your will be done. Now, I want to say four things that are really very simple. about how, What does it mean for a church like ours to be alert to God's leading? And if we're reading from Acts, you can't get around the fact that what you need, what we need to continue to be alert to God's leading is prophetic insight. That actually the Spirit guides through the gifts that he gives his own body. And part of that is the gift and ministry of prophetic insight. To share an awareness, to be the unusual one, to be the one who can see ahead of time what's coming down the line. Now, Agabus, in two ways, is used by God in, this situ- in these situations. One, because he says, actually, I can see what's going to happen in the whole of the empire. So actually, you've got to m- make a response to that. And secondly, he sees in Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, in a sense, you might want to argue, well, maybe other people knew what was going on in the empire. Maybe it was obvious, actually, if you go to Jerusalem, Paul, you're hated down there. They're going to do you in. But actually, for Agabus, it was, no, actually, I think this is exactly what God is saying to us right now. And there's something about church, life together, where we need everybody to operate in the gifting that you've been given The problem with the Bible sometimes is it doesn't give you enough information, does it? You kind of want to know, could we, could we talk to Agabus for a bit? Could we ask a few questions of Agabus? How could you be so sure? How did he know? How did you hear? How did you see this? How, we, were, we were as confident as you sounded. But there's no doubt that actually if you want to be a church that's alert to the God's leading. If you want to be part of this movement that says, God's at work, we want to be his disciples. The tactics, what do we do next? We're going to need people who are aware of that prophetic insight. That's how God seems to use you not to be afraid to say. There's no way around it. We're going to need... The second thing, we're going to need extraordinary experiences to be shared. 
So Paul has, Paul, it seems that one of the main ways that God seems to speak to Paul is through vision. It happens on Damascus Road. It happens with the man of Macedonia. It happens. It's almost like Paul, the way God seems to deal with Paul is, I'll get you flat on your back so you're not talking. (laughs) All right. Because then I can get through to you. So it's at night when he's asleep or when his brain is probably not working as fast as it was when he was awake. But Paul has to come back and say to people, this is what I dreamt. How vulnerable would that make you feel? How many of you, as well as we know each other, and as long as we've been together, some of us, how many of you know how difficult it is to say to one another, do you know what? I had a really weird experience. Because every time you begin to have that conversation, it makes you feel vulnerable. Because you know this sounds bonkers. I had a dream. I saw something. I felt something. I was in a context where this happened and I can't explain it. But that seems to be, in the book of Acts, one of the ways that God leads his people. And it needs a community of people who are not going to jump down each other's throats too quick if we have someone go, I know this sounds really weird, but... Now, the truth is, the gentle truth is, it just might be weird. (laughs) All right? Just because you feel it's really, really compelling doesn't necessarily mean that everybody else is going to accept that. It may just be weird. But in a community where you go, we're not going to bounce off each other. We're just going to say, let's hold that. Let's discern that. That's why the whole body needs, as well as the prophetic and the extraordinary, is the gift of discernment. Not that you're judging another person, but you're weighing what they're saying. Sometimes it might be for themselves, and sometimes it might be for us. But actually, we can't be afraid of that. The prophet and the extraordinary experience always has a cost. The cost of the prophetic insight is you always feel on the outside. The cost of the prophetic insight is you always feel on the outside. And you always, I would want to suggest, probably always feel frustrated that not everybody else can see it. And that's why prophetic insight sometimes sounds quite But you need the pastoral gifts alongside the... Nobody would want to join a church that's just prophetic all the time. You'd just get beaten up every week. But if you've not got it, then actually what we miss is an alertness. Nobody wants a church where everybody's having really extraordinary, weird experiences every week. Because you just sound flaky. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and, 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 and sin will get in, and temptation will get in, and then we'll just try and outdo each other. You had a dream. I was taken to the ninth heaven. Um, You don't get it all the time. But actually, if you don't take note of it when it happens, then we miss the leading of the Spirit. Two last things. We need wise responses. What really interests me is that particularly with Agabus, Agabus didn't come with the solution to either of the situations. 
He didn't say there's going to be a famine in the empire, and therefore, folks, what I think you should do is you take a collection, give it to Jerusalem. I think that would be the best. He just comes and says, look, I've just, I've just sort of done my bit. I'm telling you there's going to be a famine. He comes to Paul and he says, I'm going to tie you up. That's, going to, that's what's going to happen to you. And then the church argue with Paul. Don't go. We don't want to lose you. Paul goes, no, I'm going to go. And it's a bit of a to and fro. There's a, there's a wisdom about how do you respond to this sort of stuff. Agabus, there's going to be a famine. We need to give, but who to? Agabus, you're going to lose your leader. You're going to lose your star player. Yeah. And you don't want to, but let it happen. And then fourthly and finally... The posture of the church is weakness. Last week in the all-age service, there weren't many people there. And me and uh, Ian had a conversation about that afterwards. It was great. Just, it just wasn't as full as normal. And, uh, and I said, ah, oh, it was great. I mean, not it was great that a lot of people... I said it was great. It reminded me when we were smaller and we longed to see growth. And it's kind of like it gave me a spring in my step. And Ian said, oh, no, it just made me feel really fragile. And it's kind of like two ways of looking at the same situation. But every now and again, it's good to be reminded that actually our posture is weakness. Dependency. Your church is getting to a really dangerous place where effectively they don't need God anymore. That's a really weak, that's a really dangerous place to be in when you think we're doing great. We've got our plans, we've got our programs, everything's running smoothly, we can just help people get along. If you don't need God, actually, you're really dangerous. So the posture of church and the posture of the church in Acts all the way through is actually not strength but weakness. It's Paul saying, I'm being beaten up and abused in Corinth. And God's saying, stay. It's Agabus going, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to they're gonna imprison you, Paul. That's going to be the end. Mm, oh, yeah, okay, we'll go. It's Antioch saying, if we send money with Barnabas and Saul, who's going to lead us now? Because if we let these two go, they ain't going to come back, are they? Uh, no, they're not. And in... When Agabus is talking about Paul being tied and left, Paul, what will we do? The church is in weakness, frustrated because they don't know what to do next, because the situations don't open up as they wanted. Reassured, because actually, although it's difficult, God's got us. I think the vision for our church or the values that we want to be, a growing community of whole disciples, alert to God's leading. Alert to God's leading. Because if we're not, we'll either stagnate and you become a religious club or you'll grow overconfident in your own plans 
and you find yourself a church <laughs> that doesn't really seem to need God anymore. Well, that's some of what I think we were meaning when we talked about being alert to God. Not easy. It's challenging. It needs each of us to play our part. It needs each of us to say, okay, God, I cannot just be a part of church that is going to just feed me. I need to play my part here. I need to be part of this. You don't need a priest to hear from God for you. You don't need a pastor to direct. What you need is an openness to the Spirit and a willingness to be part of a community where you're vulnerable enough to share it. For this is, at least in part, what it means to be alert to the Spirit. That makes sense. Let's just be still for a bit. keep saying about we being alert to God and that's absolutely right it is about us as a church but the church is just someone said the church is just plural of disciple it's just a plural for disciple and if me and you if we're not consciously trying to be alert to what God is saying in our own lives there's no chance that we're going to be alert to God in our corporate life. To be honest, it just becomes an aspiration that we know we're never going to achieve. And um, some of you know what it feels like to have been really conscious of God's voice, his leading, the way he dealt with you. For some of you, it's kind of like... You remember the days when you used to open the Bible and things used to spring out at you. And you just knew it was like this was how God was communicating with you. Some of you know the, the ways that you were in context and God would bring back to mind things. And, and you felt that presence of God where he was reminding you in order that you might be used by him. Or the, the dreams or the visions or the pictures, whatever it is, that range of ways that God communicates with us that makes us aware of his leading. And for some of you, you remember it. But it's not out for ages. 
And I say that not in a sort of a, you know, condemning way I'll tell you off, but it's in a sense of the invitation that we might ask Jesus to unblock our ears and to wipe our eyes. Jesus healed a couple of people and I can't ever sort of read about them except think this, that there was one man who was deaf and he, Jesus put his fingers in his ears and when he took them out, the man could hear again. And another man came and he was blind and Jesus made clay out of spit and dust and put them on his eyes and then washed his eyes and he could see clearly. And some of us know how that, would we, we would need that, we would need Jesus to do that for us. Open our eyes, Lord. Let us hear you. So without a whole kick and kerfuffle, if that's relevant for you, if you go, yeah, I used to do that, I could hear, I used to experience that, but not for a while. But you know it's like a kick this morning to say, come on. Then do you want to stand and we'll pray with you? If that's for you. The promise is this, God has not stopped speaking. And for some of you, it's go back to the things you did, the practices you had, the disciplines you had when you knew you were hearing from God. Go back there. It's kind of like unblocking those wells. Go back there. Do those things again. Lord, we come and we confess our inability to hear you, to be alert to you. We confess the times where we miss, we miss what you're doing. And Lord, we long to hear from you again. Lord, some of us remember days when we did really clearly. And Lord, I want to pray that you bring those days back again. But Lord, I pray that you'd, we'd do it because we'd go back to those disciplines, that we dig the well again. Lord, for those who respond and for all of us together, Lord, may we become increasingly alert to you. Let's hear your voice again, Lord. As a church, Lord, will you help us to be aware of what you're doing in us and through us and around us? And Lord, will you give us hearts to run after you? 
And Lord, when we're frustrated because doors close or where we're uncertain because we don't know what to do next, Lord, that's not a bad place to be in. That's a place where actually we can become attuned to what you're asking. Do it, we pray. We want to be this sort of church, Lord. We want to be a church that you wrap into your purpose. Do it, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Band are going to lead us again. Just, a, just a, a bit of encouragement, really. This isn't my story. It's, I'm borrowing it from Ian again, and it's not something that he would say, but this is about God's leading with the DWP, the Department for Work and Pensions, this week. Because yet again, through Ian, we've been part of another miracle. <clears throat> it may not surprise you to know that conversations with the Department of Work and Pensions in the past haven't gone well for Ian. In fact, he's not really been aware of a lot of them. He's put himself in a position where he didn't actually have to uh, converse with them and got himself into a state where he wasn't even conscious a lot of the time of the meetings. So we weren't looking forward to this review um, on Monday, Tuesday, whenever it was this week. <clears throat> and a number of you were praying for Ian and just before we went into this meeting, at which Ian was a little bit agitated because we had to talk to them about how he'd come to the position he was in today and the last six months of handling his finance, etc., etc. We got a text from Maggie to say she was praying for him, so he was off we went into the office. And um, it was quite miraculous because this woman that he'd had several run-ins in the past with sat down and said, mm, I think you used to teach me. Now, that can go one of two ways. It can be, so now I'm going to get my own back. <laughs> or it can be those few people that think, oh, well, you weren't that bad, and it there's a story to that as well. It turned out that I helped her mum in some way, way, way back when. And we pursued a conversation around Ian's life and she just sat there and said, I've seen you, Ian, over the past six months in the village and it's amazing and there is no way that the DWP want to get in the way of what is a miracle. And it turns out that she too was a Christian, and Ian sat there and said, well, I have been supported by all these people, and I have done this that you've written down on your bit of paper, but he said, do you know it was God? And I'm sitting there in a DWP meeting, and she said, yes, he works in mysterious ways, and we won't get in his way. Thanks, Bab. I was going to ask, actually, if anybody had anything to share, so thanks for beating me to it. Uh, brilliant story. Um, has anybody got anything else? Maybe Sometimes God speaks just for you, and you know, actually, this is maybe just for me. Anybody else? No, I'm only kidding. Annie. Um, <laughs> Annie, I'm only kidding. Annie, what have you got to share? Can you have the microphone? Have the microphone, then we get it recorded, then. 
I was just thinking when Neil was preaching and using the word supernatural, um, you'll all probably know that I'm a great fan of um, Tom Wright. Now, Tom Wright insists that we don't use the word supernatural uh, because he explains it as being the norm. Because what happens in the supernatural is that it's God's kingdom breaking through into our reality. So there's God's space, God's time, and God's matter. That's God's kingdom. And I think sometimes we can get a little bit intimidated or frightened by the word supernatural because we associate it with things that are unwholesome. In this sense, or in the four examples that Neil has outlined in Acts, it was an example of God's kingdom breaking through into the reality of these men's lives. And we can experience that now, and you mustn't feel frightened. It's those occasions where you see God working, and you say to yourself, that is a foretaste of heaven. That is a little piece of heaven. It might be when you were friends enjoying uh, a laugh, a meal, and you know that something within is everything as it should be. Everything as God first intended before sin broke in. So when we talk about, if you like, the supernatural, it's nothing to be afraid of. It is to be sought after with all your heart. It's nothing to be frightened of. It's what God has created in the original that has been spoiled by sin. So go for it. Nothing to be afraid of. Thanks, Annie. Yeah, and actually Paul says, doesn't he, when he's talking about all the gifts, he said, eagerly, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And of those greater gifts, he's, to one of them, he's talking about prophecy. And I think he say it's, um, it doesn't always, it's not always a, a predict, I predict there's a famine, is it? It's, a, it's something like you've experienced with Ian or those moments. And I wondering if anybody else has got anything else they might want to share. Faye, Neil, can you do the running around? Cheers. It's nice to see someone else doing it for a change. Um, I had a friend come to visit me yesterday and she's been texting me all week saying, can I come over, can I come over? And I was wondering, well, what on earth does she want to speak to me so desperately about? And then she was on about nine o'clock in the morning. I was like, oh, can we make it 11, please? <laughs> um, but basically, a few months ago, she had a really big decision to make and she kept on saying to me that she wanted to go to this church meeting called Listening to God. And um, I stopped being cynical. I didn't say anything about the cringy name, but <laughs> she was saying that basically people just go there um, sit in the church with notepads and just wait on God and wait to hear what he has to say. And she's been going on about this for a number of months now. And um, apparently this week she'd decided to go. She said she had an important meeting on Friday and she just felt that God really wanted her to go to this meeting. Um, she didn't take a notepad. She said she wasn't expecting to hear from God at all, so did not need the notepad, but she just felt that she should go. And then when she went there, um, she said that, you know, she obviously had this decision in her mind. And she was saying to me, um, I saw a signpost. And she said this signpost had a sign on it and it said exactly what I needed to do. And so she told me the decision she'd made. And she said, so what do you think? And I thought, right, come on, then let's be encouraging. Tell her, yeah, brilliant decision, you know, really go for it. So I said, no, 
what do you think about me having a vision? Me, me, and all of this sort of stuff. And she was so excited, um, you know, because it's just something she'd never particularly experienced before. She said that previously when God has spoken to her, it was through perhaps somebody else saying something to her or maybe reading something in the Bible. But she said, I actually saw something, a vision, and it was just lovely seeing her yesterday so excited and just so happy in the decision she was going to make as well. Amazing, brilliant. And that can happen sometimes when you just give God the time, can't you? Know, yeah, that's the thing that Neil's talking about, godly habits. And so easy, I know myself, just so easy just to rush. You know, you do a little bit of however many minutes you do Bible reading in the morning. If you do that at all, you've got the time. And you rush away, realizing you've never spent any time actually trying to listen to what God might want to say to you. And um, actually, Natalie had, when Neil was speaking, uh, Natalie had shared a number of prophecies that were spoken as part of a meeting in Salford in 2015. And the there were most of them are very sort of scriptural, really. Lots, lots of sort of, and they're praying over Salford, and that can be for a big area, can't it? And sometimes it can be for a specific person's life. But one of the things I was thinking about, or one of the principles that reminded me of, is that whatever God might say to you, He's never going to contradict His word. He's never going to contradict the pattern, the, lo- the love and the teaching, the character of Jesus. So you can be sure that when you test something that comes to you, sometimes it's just a weird thought or a strange dream, but it will never. If, it's, if it cheers you up, if it encourages you, if it's in line with Scripture, if it's in line with the, the nature of Jesus, then I encourage you to share it, really. And uh, as Natalie's done on Beyond Sunday, it could be a public thing that you share for us. It could be about our church. Or it could you just come and let us know in private. But just encourage myself and you to keep listening to God and build those godly habits whenever you can. Has anybody else got anything else you want to share before we... Yes, Judith. Judith. Um, I've had um, a reoccurring dream for the past three months that I brought to church each week and asked God um, to give me the opportunity to share it if he wanted me to share it. And I've taken it home with me because I've not felt that um, the time's been right. Um, But I feel there's all need to share it now. Um, I have, um, in this dream, there's a picture of, there's a hill a bit like the Peppa Pig Hill, you know. Um, And on the top of the hill is a church building, our church building, And on the side of the hill, we're all fellowshipping with one another. And there's a huge sun at the side of the hill shining really brightly. And as we fellowship with each other, um, the sun shines brighter and brighter and comes closer. And I just sense that God is saying that stay close to each other and stay close to Jesus. Because as you do that, then the glory of God will be evident in this place. And I think the symbolism of the building being on top of the hill, I believe that God is saying that we are the glory of him in this area and that's what he's called us to be. Brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. Amen to that. Thanks, Judith. Anybody else? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Great, thank you for all those who shared this morning. It takes a lot of confidence, doesn't it, sometimes to say what you feel might might or might not be relevant and uh, we receive all of what you said uh, with thanks and uh, let's not lose it. Let's write this stuff down, put it on your mobile phone, stick it in your notebook, remember it, pray about it, think about it. Ask God what he might be saying to you individually as part of this church as well. And, and he, maybe he'll want to say something to you this week that you want to share 
uh, during the week or next week or in the coming weeks. As Neil says, we want to be that sort of church who listens more to God and hears what he has to say to us. And Yeah, Natalie. Just the scripture that comes to mind um, here in Judith, um, Matthew five fourteen to 16. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's respond by asking God to fan into flame that passion, that desire to hear him again, to know him. All comes from knowing him, doesn't it? That's what we're here for, really. Above all else, to know him better and to make him known. Must be a 